this is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wheat and Kelly McVeigh, now with the Digitant Network. How's it going, guys? I hope you're having a good week. Uh, before we get started, check our show notes, become part of the Greener Grass family. You'll get all the good stuff from us. We would love to have you. And today we have Dr. Stephanie Munoz. She is an old friend of mine. Uh, we went to school at Oberlin College together. She has since then become a research scientist, but the reason why I'm having her on today is because she's Jewish American, and I thought she might be the perfect person to to have on here to give a really balanced viewpoint, very educated viewpoint um, on what's going on since the Hamas attack on Israel. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. I got educated so much. It is... It is a very, very complicated situation, rich with history, and um, she really helped educate me. I hope she can do the same for you. Okay, let's get started. Yeah, so Greener Grass listeners, um, I actually kind of in a hurry scheduled this with Steph because of of the heartbreaking and just like the, the terrorist Hamas attack on on Israel and what has since happened in in the region in the last two weeks, it's been a very heartbreaking and heavy two weeks. And um, I I reached out to her. She's a Jewish American. She's Jewish American, and um, we know each other very well from college. And she's she's just the type of person that I wanted to get a perspective from. Um, because I think that we're all feeling pretty helpless, at least I do. Um, and I wanted to just reach out to her and see if she had, you know, any any um, any way to educate us, any way to show us ways to to help. Um, Steph, hi, Doctor Stephanie. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. Um, yeah. I- <clears throat> It's very heavy. It's weighing really heavy on my heart. Um, and I, I don't know that, um, that I can be helpful, but I will, I will do my best to share my perspective. Um, you know that I am a research scholar and um, I am accustomed to being interviewed about things that are very squarely within my professional expertise. And this is personal. Um, And I am not an expert in Middle East relations, but I am a Jewish human on this planet. and, um, And so I'll do my best to share through that lens. What has been the talk and the chatter and the response, you, your friends, your community? um, I don't know if you're religious at all, if you attend on a regular basis. Uh, Let's start there. The Jewish people are not a monolith, as with any. Um, And there is a there's a diversity of perspective within the Jewish community, I think what I experienced is that after the attack, there was a, um, there was a collective sense of horror and it really tapped so deeply into a shared long history of trauma um, that colored the way people reacted. There's also, um, I think, in among the Jewish people, this history of victimization and victimhood that is troubling for us. And um, and a desire to rewrite our narrative as a people of strength and resilience. And so in times when that is threatened, I think there is a tendency for us 
to want to embrace our strength as a people. And, and I think that speaks to the larger situation in the Middle East as a whole, which we can talk about. But I will tell you that, um, that I was troubled by some of the response that I saw because, um, because there is some tendency toward like self-righteous um, aggression that plays out in Israel, but I think also in some of the sentiments of Jews in the diaspora. Um, and then the series of events that followed. So, so I think a lot of Jews thought like, well, this is entirely unprovoked. Um, and Hamas is a terrorist organization. And I think partly that comes from many Jews in the diaspora not having a, um, a broad perspective on the shared history that we have with the other peoples in that region. You know, many of us go to Hebrew school until we're 13, and we have like a 13-year-old understanding. Um, there, there is also a tendency toward a Zionist perspective that we're taught. Can you explain a Zionist perspective? Because I've been hearing that a lot, and I don't Yeah, really so Zionism is the idea that Jews deserve to have a home. Um, so Zionism is support for the existence of a Jewish state. The Jewish people have rarely had autonomy in their own land. Um, they've resided in not only Israel, but throughout the world in places where they, the land was ruled by other people. And this is the Persians and the Romans and the Babylonians and the czars and, um, and not having self-determination spawned this belief that, um, and especially, I think, it, this long precedes the Holocaust, but during the Holocaust, there was this idea, or immediately after when the world really understood what had been happening, the Jewish problem shifted from like, you know, Hitler's Jewish problem of we need to get rid of them to the Jewish problem being that they need a place to go. Like, what are we going to do with all these Jews um, that, you know, are coming out of the concentration camps and the work camps? And so the solution to that problem was for the Jews to be able to have Israel. And that's like, you know, complicated and getting into the history. But so the Zionist perspective is that Jews deserve to have a home and that that be a Jewish state. Um, and when we're growing up in a lot of Jewish religious institutions, what we learn about Israel is that Israel is a home for the Jewish people. It is a safe place where you will always be able to go, no matter what happens in the world, whenever where you are becomes too hostile for you to inhabit, you can always go back to Israel where you will be welcomed as a Jew. And, you know, at times in the world when anti-Semitism starts to rise, when horrific things happen to Jewish people because of their Jewishness, there's always this idea of like, well, we always have Israel to go to. And it's um, there's always like a sort of barometer, like, you know, sort of this idea that like your bags are always half packed of like, we're just waiting for it to get bad enough that it's appropriate to leave. And in fact, those of us who live in the diaspora um, think back to our ancestors. You know, many Jews in the U.S. today have ancestors who left before World War II because it was getting bad. And so those ancestors kind of serve as a model of like, well, they were the brave ones, the smart ones, the ones who were willing to leave it all behind and get out of there, who saw the writing on the wall and thank goodness for them or we probably wouldn't be here. Um, so this idea of like 
paying attention and taking the pulse of where you are and knowing, you know, it, is it, is it better to be here, to stay here with my life and everything that I know, or has it gotten so bad for Jews here that, um, that we like have the escape hatch to go to Israel? And there's an understanding between Israel and Jews in the diaspora of like, you stay there in Israel and you make the sacrifices and you all fight in the military and you, you know, hold the front line and we will send you money so that we have a place to go when things get unsafe where we are. Um, and the complexity of how we came to have that land as a self-determining people. I mean, there were brief periods in history when Jews had their own land. Like, for example, uh, in the in a brief time after the Hanukkah story, there the Maccabees. Um, I don't need to get into the Hanukkah story, except to say there have been brief periods in history when Jews had their own land that they weren't under the rule of another people. But it's been brief, and um, and so when Israel was formed as a Jewish state, there generally is very little discussion, especially for young Jewish children who are growing up in the diaspora of like, what had to happen in order for that to be possible. And I think in certain Jewish circles, there's even this idea that like, God's plan was that the Holocaust was necessary so that Jews could have Israel um, because it like softened the hearts of the world so that they finally said, yes, you can have your own state because there had been Zionists long before that. Um, and there also, I think um, we tend to oversimplify a lot of narratives, both historic and current into, you know, good guys and bad guys. <laughs> Um, or we are all the protagonists of our own stories. And um, and I think that we also avoid cognitive dissonance by believing the Jewish people to be deserving of that land um, and minimizing um, the, or not attending to the experience of other people in that land. Um, so all of this is to say, Carrie, that um, that I have actually found it difficult to share my own perspective that holds two things to be true. The Hamas, Hamas attacks were horrific, and they do not represent or reflect the wishes or intent of the Palestinian people as a whole. And also it is true that the Palestinian people have a lot of grievance that is very justified. And when a people is oppressed and does not have self-determination, um, there are very few actions that they are able to take that will help them move toward self-determination. Um, so not to say that the attacks by Hamas were the right way to do this, um, but for a people that has limited power and, um, and a lot of desperation, I think it's important to take those attacks in context of the suffering of the Palestinian people as a whole. And, um, I've actually had like turning in my stomach about saying this publicly because there's such a strong, uh, there's little room for among many Jewish people, because if you say that the Palestinian people are suffering and they deserve um, a, a different circumstance, then some people will take that to be anti-Semitic or take that to be um, a, um, a justification for the actions of Hamas, which is not at all what I'm saying. Um, but also 
Palestine, the Palestinian people are the underdog here. They are the ones without the giant military and the backing of the United States. And the response that has happened, which has essentially been to like crush the Palestinian people when it's not the Palestinian people that took this action, it's Hamas. Um, and so the, the increased suffering of the Palestinian people is problematic. Um, and it, and it's un-Jewish, frankly, um, in the way that, that I perceive Jewish teachings. It also reflects, similar to what we have going on in the U.S. Congress right now, the way that the Israeli government is structured. It's a consensus government. And so this is like a common system in Europe and not as familiar to many people in the U.S., but the prime minister has to um, like pull together different factions in order to have a majority. And in order for Netanyahu to stay in power this particular time, he had to include the far right. Uh, it's a m small minority that has outsized influence in the same way that there are a small number of Republicans on the hard right who have sort of taken Congress hostage and um, wielding their power as a necessary minority. The same is true in the Israeli government. And so um, Netanyahu has moved further and further to the right. And um, that the perspective on the far right in Israel is that Israel, that the Jewish people are deserving by God of the entire land of Israel, which not only includes the state of Israel, but also the land that is currently inhabited by the Palestinian people, including Gaza and the West Bank. And so um, this notion that, like, ultimately, the Palestinian people should be entirely pushed out of Israel is a hard right perspective. Um, I also want to acknowledge that there are also Jews on the far left who are anti-Zionist, pro-Palestinian, um, and that both in the diaspora and in Israel itself, you have that gradation of perspective all across the continuum. Um, from the state of Israel should not exist at all um, to the Palestinian people should not be in it. Benjamin Netanyahu, he's been prime minister for a really long time, has he not? <laughs> yeah, and, and he actually was a relatively centrist politician um, Before. many years ago. Yeah. Is there is there a consensus among friends, family, the ones that you are in touch with, uh, feelings about prime minister? If there should, um, I don't know if you're wanting to talk about that. Um, so I don't think no one I know likes him, <laughs> especially. So I am not. I I will admit that my circle um, of of Jewish relations is probably ranging from like um is pretty centrist and slightly maybe to the left and deaf there are very few people in my immediate sphere of influence who are anti-zionist um or who are anti-palestinian um but almost all of them believe that Bibi, as he is commonly referred to, has like sold his soul um, in order to remain in power. And so many people, even those who are very much Zionists, would say, well, their caveat is like, well, I believe that the Jews deserve a home and I believe in the state of Israel and I don't like baby's government and I don't like the decisions that are being made and I don't like what's happening with the settlements and I don't like the move that he's making with the judiciary uh, but but that but they would not go so far as to say well you know <laughs> to to condemn the response 
Um, I think some of them would condemn the response to the Hamas attacks, but I think there, as I said, there's still like a lot of self-righteousness um, that allows people to justify the the response. Um, and I also think many people don't really, aren't following it to understand exactly what is happening to Palestinians. Um, again, like I can't speak for the Jewish people as a whole because there's a lot of nuance here. So there are people who would say the Hamas attacks are horrific and also the Palestinian people deserve food and water um, and electricity. Um, but that Israel had the right to defend itself. And so that's also, there's this like Israel being not only like this single democracy in the Middle East, but also the the only Jewish one in a sea of Arab nations that um, that Israel is necessarily on the defensive all of the time. And that to survive as a state and to survive as a Jewish home, it is necessary to have a um, an incredibly strong military and to be known as a people that will not allow its land to be taken. And so that means that if you're attacked, you've got to respond um, with such veracity as to make it unlikely that you'll be attacked again. Uh, sh a show of force, a, a show of strength. Right. I think that Biden's trying to thread that needle. And with all politics in America, I think it's really complicated because the rule of thumb recently has been no nuance like that's right. that's the media that's how things are portrayed black or white you're either for it or against it this whole situation is so nuanced yes. there are so many perspectives and i don't know about you i'm on instagram and i get sent these I, these videos of of like palestinian children like shit like like crying and 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 like afraid and and a doctor hugging them in a hospital somewhere where they're afraid to get bombed and yeah. and as a as a by like a like a bystander or a or a american citizen who knows very little about the nuance of it i'm just like get those children you know save everybody right. you know that's, right that's, that's, right well that's and in my feed carrie so um i have seen a little bit of that i've also seen a lot of like the suffering of Jews. And so the hostages and, you know, the the children who have been killed or parents who have been killed and now the children don't have parents. And like, so I think that's exactly what I'm talking about is that like both narratives are true, but it's difficult to hold both. And so, and especially depending on what the algorithm feeds you, you're you're going to either see the suffering of one people or the suffering of the other. And I have seen a, a lot. Um, it's really interesting because I've seen there are no two sides from both sides. Like I've seen people who have said unequivocally, like this is a terrorist attack by Hamas. There are not two sides here. Like this is the Jewish people under attack. And then I've seen other people who have said the Palestinian people are oppressed. This is a genocide and there are no two sides. Like Israel is wrong and has been for all of this time and there are no two sides. And so like clearly if both sides are saying there are not two sides, there are two sides. I mean, but as you're suggesting, it's not two sides. It's, and I actually wrote a poem. I like have been struggling with what to do with how I'm feeling and, and also feeling like I cannot share this publicly um, because there is such a desire to have a single narrative around this and that anything that you say can be so easily misconstrued. Um, and also my social media feed feels toxic. I can't go into it because it makes me sick. Um, and so I've been just sort of like doing my own art making to process. Um, and in this poem that I wrote, it talks about like, we are one human family. And not only that, but like, we are literally cousins. I mean, 
something that Jews sometimes say is that there have been Jews, there have always been Jews in Israel, right? So there's this narrative that like the Jews left, they went to Europe, the Palestinians were living there, and then the Jews came back and took the homes of the Palestinians. And a counter narrative to that is, well, there have always been Jews in Israel. Since the beginning, there have always been Jews in Israel. There has never been a time when Jews did not live in Israel. But also, a lot of those Jews became Muslim and are now Palestinians with historic Jewish ancestry. Like we have both been living in this land for many generations. And so we are literally cousins. Um, and so to, and especially like there is so much written in the Torah as there is in all of the major religious traditions about how we treat the stranger which like there's so much more said about how to treat the stranger than how to treat the friend because we need to be reminded of how to treat the stranger but also these are not strangers these are cousins um and so the it's like it's incredibly nonsensical and painful to to see the us and them perspective that um that I continue to see I remember, so when I was a kid, my my grandparents were Zionists. They lived through World War II. My grandmother was a leader in Hadassah, which is like a major Jewish organization that builds hospitals in Israel, among other things. And they subscribed to the Near East Report, which was like a a newsletter, basically, about what was going on in the Middle East that they wanted to follow. And I remember even then, like, as a kid, they had it in their bathroom, and I would read it and think, like, why can't we just share? Like, why can't we just, you know, divide it and each have a land? Or, like, as a kid, I couldn't understand, like, why is this a turf war (laughs) instead of being, like, a sharing of the land. Like, why can't everybody win? Why can't, um, you know, the Palestinian people acknowledge that the Jews have a history here? And why can't the Jewish people acknowledge that the Palestinian people have a history here and the land is holy to all of us? Um, And then I went there for the first time in my early 20s. And I realized, like, there is no solution to this. Like, that idea of, like, let's just divided and share is, um, it's like, it's a naive understanding of the complexity of not only the geopolitics, but also the incredibly deeply held intergenerational trauma that is intertwined between our people. This is what I don't understand as as an intelligent person in America, okay? The rise of anti-Semitism, the, the prevalence of it always. Now, you, you know that I don't, I'm not okay with anything that I'm about to say, but I honestly understand slightly racism. I do. Like, I understand we had, we had this stain on our history with slavery. Yeah. I know. Can I please talk? We have, uh, you know, we had the internment of Japanese people. We had the genocide of the, of the Indian Americans. The reason why that makes slight sense to me is that because we've always, you know, it's like you look different. Hmm. you look different and there's always the other what I don't understand from even a historical standpoint is anti-semitism to be honest like I don't know why it's it's bubbling and so strong in America in Europe I can you explain to me either from historical or even just from today's standpoint yeah so that's really interesting Carrie because well I mean some people believe that Jews do look different (laughs) Okay, uh, I, you know, I think all white people, look, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm okay, kidding. but so if you look at me, Carrie, um, you, so like, I can pass, like, if, if you know that I'm Jewish, then you could say, okay, I kind of see it. 
Um, so this, what's complex about this, Carrie, is that Judaism is a religion. Anyone can be Jewish. There are Jews all over the globe. There are Jews with dark skin and with light skin and with all different kinds of hair and noses and eyebrows. That is one aspect of Jewishness. There is also Judaism as an ethnicity, a culture, um, a way of living that overlaps with religiosity, but is separate. So Jews in some parts of the world have like different cuisine and slightly different practices than Jews in other parts of the world, because it's not only religious, it's also cultural and it's genetic in that the Jewish people have lived in foreign lands through much of our history. And we have been um, otherized wherever we have lived. So whether it's under the Romans or it's under the Russians or wherever it is we are, we were um, not mixing with the people that we lived among. Um, and so there is like a genetic difference between a Jew who lived in Ukraine and a Ukrainian who lived in Ukraine. Um, this is especially true. So for the Ashkenazi Jews, which is um, I think half of the Jews on the planet and the vast majority of Jews in America, the Ashkenazi Jews are sort of um, all descended. You can trace them back matrilineally to four women. Like if you look back through mitochondrial DNA. And so there is a genetic- I have never known that in my life. There's a genetic similarity wow. among Ashkenazi Jews, which like we sort of joke about the inbreeding and why we have so much pathology, um, but we are like all related to each other. And so there is like when I do did my 23andMe, my genetic, you know, testing, um, my my genetics are 98.5% Ashkenazi Jew. Wow. Like that is not that is not a country, right? That is a Jewish. Right. That's, that's crazy. Oh, I'm very Jewish. <laughs> yes. No, I mean for anybody in this world to be ninety eight percent. Right. Exactly. Okay. So so that's not uncommon, Carrie, because we one we like we it, no one was mixing with us genetically because they wouldn't want to, and two we were forbidden from from mixing. Like we had to marry another Jewish person and have babies with another Jewish person within the ghetto that we lived in, where whatever that country was. So um, so this whole idea of like, if you look Jewish, on the one hand, that's offensive because it's a religion and you can't look like a religion. Anybody can be that religion. And also it's a lack of acknowledging the diversity among Jews all over the world. Like a Moroccan Jew does not look like an Ashkenazi Jew, but also Ashkenazi Jews do have some similarities. Um, that being said, like Jewishness was a race. <laughs> like race is a social construct. It's a cultural construct. It does not exist biologically. Like there is far more genetic diversity within Asian people, for example, than between, you know, Asians and whites, right? There's, it's the differences that we see that we decide, define people. And if you look at the history of race, the history of race keeps changing. Like who counts as what keeps changing? Like whether being Hispanic or Latino, whether that's a race or an ethnicity has changed. Um, and being Jewish was considered to be a race and an undesirable one. Um, and in most parts of the world where Jews lived and they were a minority and they were ruled by another people like the Persians or the Romans or the Babylonians, um, it was the, the relations changed, right? There were some times that we lived amicably and well among other people and we did business together and it was fine to be Jewish. Um, 
like it generally is in America today. And there were times when it was incredibly unsafe. But Jews were never were rarely considered to be equal among the people that that they lived with. Um, it's been said by Jews, so who you know take take that into consideration. But it's been said that anti anti Semitism is the world's oldest hate. Um, that the the otherization of the Jewish people, and and that is like not that's a very like um, Eurocentric perspective because you have ethnic. Um, hatreds all over the world among cousins. You know, if you, there are many countries that border each other that are at like, you know, that have long histories of severe animosity and hatred and warring. Um, But if we look at sort of like the Western perspective and the Eurocentric perspective, hatred of Jews goes back a very long way. Um, but because Ashkenazi Jews are white, the way that we understand race today, um, there is a privilege of looking white, and there is um, a power to that that puts Jews in a position of feeling like a minority while also having all of the a lot of the privilege of the majority. It's like being a white woman, right? Like you have all the privilege of being white and still you have um, the disadvantage of being a woman um, or being white and queer or, right? Like there are, this is like the complexity of intersectionality is that we each are multitudes. And so within any of us, like for example, you as an Asian American, also an educated person who is intelligent and well-spoken has some privilege, Um, someone who is physically attractive, right? Like that is, um, it's a privilege and a power and it doesn't erase the, the challenges of the minoritization that you experience. And so I think Jews as like, um, a less visible minority feel sometimes this need to proclaim it of like, we are still an oppressed people. <laughs> Everyone hates us, even though we have white privilege. And of course, that's I'm speaking for Ashkenazi Jews who present as white, which is not all Jews on the planet or in America by any means. And I think that is that is generally my perspective. If you were to ask me, and I would just quickly answer, you know, because those those people that I see, Right. And the people that I'm encountering. So the the anti-Semitism in America has Oh, that's complicated. Yeah. Has, okay. So so there's the, the history. Room. Right. So when Jews first arrived in America, they were largely unwanted or in the same way that Italians and Irish um were minoritized then. And there were quotas that were placed on how many Jews were allowed into the country. Um, And in fact, horrifically, there were Jews who came to America leaving the horrors of what was happening in Europe during World War II or even before that, when it was starting to get bad and were sent back uh, because they they were unwanted and there were quotas on Jews. And then over time, as Jews integrated into American society and became more accepted, as a part of the American people. And that was deliberate. I mean, there was, I think this happens for a lot of immigrant communities that there is a desire to become a part of the majority population that you have entered, right? You yeah, want I feel that the- really strongly. Like my parents are like, just fit in. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And so, so there is like partly this holding on to, desire to hold on to tradition. And you see that more, I think, with some immigrant populations today, but a desire to like hold on to your ancestry and also fit in. And Jews threaded the needle, even in terms of like what their religious services looked like, changed to become more American um, and more similar to how Christian religious services happen. Um, and lots of Jews changed 
their practices in order to function in American society. Like if you are taking Saturday off, then there's a whole lot that you can't participate in in your American community. And so do you hold fast to the tradition or do you integrate? Um, but I, as Jews integrated more um, and there was greater acceptance of Jewish people as Americans, um, there also was a rise of Jews in positions of power. And that is threatening to some people. Um, and people who continue to think of Jews as other, um, who continue to minoritize Jews, are threatened by the rise of Jews in power. And we can get into a, we don't need to have a conversation about like why Jews are disproportionately represented in, um, in certain professions. Like it's historic. It goes back to what Jews were allowed to do in the countries that they lived in. Like Jews were bankers because banking was a dirty job and, um, and Jews were only allowed to be in certain professions. Um, and so there's complexity to how this happened, but Jews um, are seen as being disproportionately. I feel, like, I feel like that backfired on whoever came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, the handling of money was dirty, right? And the idea of like lending money for profit was unchristian. Um, so anyway, so there there is also this narrative on the far right that um, that Jews in power are part of a conspiracy. And this conspiracy is to replace white people. So the idea that like Jews as a minority that passes as white are working to bring more people of color into the U.S. and mix people of color with white people to dilute whiteness so that Jews will have more power. I don't know. I don't truly understand it, but it's this like replacement theory where supposedly Jews are in charge and especially Jew specific Jews who have a lot of power are orchestrating the movement of people of color into the United States in order to replace white people. So you have hard, you have this like hard right anti-Semitism. I thought the replacement theory was just about like, like people of color just outnumbering. Yeah, and like the Jews are holding the puppets and like making oh, it happen. Oh, that's what's at the top of that. Yeah, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> but then also you have anti-Semitism on the far left, which I think partly stems from what's happening in Israel, that like Jews are oppressors and that this is another case of white people oppressing people of color. Um, and so you have you have people on the far left who are saying, like, you know, Jews are the bad guy. And frankly, sometimes the anti-Zionist perspective, the perspective of like Jews do not have a right to this land where they have become an oppressor, dances with anti-Semitism. Um, and I've even seen posts on social media from people um, like people who are dear to me that are anti-Zionist, but that also flirt with anti-Semitism. And so you have anti-Semitism on like both sides of the political spectrum. That must be really hard to be on your phone. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. And I use it for business, right? So I try to like get in, get out, like <laughs> because it's too hard. And if I start to see things, then like it really, it waves heavy on my heart. And at the same time, like I don't want to ignore this. And you were saying like, what can we do? Um, and it's so hard in this climate. And I've heard from other people who are not Jewish who say, I feel like I can't even say anything. Um, because no matter what I say, it's going to be misconstrued as being against someone. And so I just sit on my hands and I like, don't share how I, how I see this or what I believe or like that my heart is hurting. Or people like me who are still trying to educate on myself on how I should feel or how I do feel. Yeah. You know, that's partially why I'm having you on here because I can't 
be the only one who feels that way. You know, like it is so nuanced and so complex. I, I think at least for me, the first thing I'm going to try to do is educate myself Yeah. versus open my mouth. Cause I don't really know what I'm talking about when I'm, you know, it's, it's obvious to me that this is not, that, that this is not a one-off, you know, like this, there's a long history in the region. There's a long history of Muslim Americans, Jewish Americans. Um, yeah, Carrie, I think also in the U.S., like the, the ally relationship between the U.S. and Israel is part of why it's and also, like the long history of Jews in America, um, there has been, like, Jews started immigrating to America. I mean, there have been Jews immigrating to America throughout its history or throughout its colonized history, but especially in like probably the mid 1800s or early 1800s and then a giant wave in the late 1800s and then an even bigger wave in like the early 1900s. And because of what I had said of like after a couple of generations, Jews rising to positions of power in this country. So, you know, a lot of Americans actually only I was going to say a lot of Americans know someone Jewish, but there are definitely a lot of parts of the country where people have never met a Jew. Uh, so in certain parts of the country, you know, most people know a Jewish person. And this relationship, this like Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. The U.S. has geopolitical ties to Israel because of that. Like there is a desire for the U.S. to defend Israel that is partly related to the presence of Jewish Americans. When, after World War II, or like even before that, Jews who were leaving Europe mostly either went to America or to Israel. So America has the greatest number of Jews outside of Israel in the world. And that has a lot of influence. And in recent years, there's an increase in Muslims living in America. It is more recent. Um, again, there have been Muslims in America for, you know, throughout history, but it's been more recent that there have been waves of Muslims to America. Um, and, and so that creates this complexity, this like needle that Biden is trying to thread. And you heard this in his speech, like this unwavering support for Israel and for Israel as a Jewish state, which Jewish Americans have a stake in that we discussed earlier, but also a growing population of Muslim Americans who are far more sympathetic to the Palestinian experience and have ties to the countries all around the Middle East that are supportive and sympathetic of the Palestinians. And so Biden has to acknowledge both of those in anything that he's going to say. So there's like, there's the U.S. as a democracy, the U.S. as an ally of Israel, and then the U.S. as a, a multitude that includes both Jewish Americans and Muslim Americans who have strong feelings about this situation. Oh, my goodness. I, I think, Carrie, like if you're trying to understand this historically, there's um, a part that I sort of glossed over that's absolutely essential. And if there is um, if there is a like if you if anyone wants to do a deep dive into this, The Lemon Tree is an amazing book that um, that I think tries to provide a sort of balanced perspective on the period in history in which like after World War Two. So the Britons were um, had were ruling over Palestine. It was part of the British Empire. It was a territory of Britain. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but the Brits were in charge of Palestine. Jews had not, it wasn't that Jews had left Israel, but over various periods in history, Jews had migrated to various places. 
or safety or because of trade or because another part of the world was more welcoming or because they were getting killed or shoved out or whatever it was. So Jews over various, throughout history, going back to like BCE, you know, 300, 200 BCE, there had been like a sprinkling of Jews that would go to various parts of Europe. And so there were Jews in the diaspora all over Europe. And then when their existence was threatened, um, and I had said there had been Zionism for a long time, but after the Holocaust, um, Britain basically gave the Jews that territory. Um, so the British allowed the Jewish people to leave parts of Europe or the concentration camps and death camps where they were being freed and gave them the opportunity to go to Israel. There were people living in Israel. Jews were living in Israel, but also a lot of people that would call themselves Palestinians. It was called Palestine under British rule. And Palestinians were forced out of what is now Israel, like literally out of their homes with breakfast still on their tables. And this was done with the support of the British army or whatever part of the British military. And they were pushed out of those parts in order. And the Jews who were coming from Europe did not know that they were being given the like inhabited home of somebody else. Like they were told, oh, these people left. And so literally the Jews were given a house that a Palestinian family had lived in. Now over like over all of this time, so it has been many generations now or several generations, it's not that long, a few generations that the Jews have been living in the former homes of the Palestinian people that they were forced out of. Now, the Jews did not, like, you know, whether or not the Jewish people actually knew that this is what had happened, like, you're coming out of a concentration camp, like skin and bones, and somebody says, you can have a home in Israel, right? Like, the complexity of this situation is enormous. And you can see, and like the Jews having clung to Israel as their like biblical birthright since the time of Moses, you know, it, and now what do you do? Like, do you give up your home and give it back to the family that was kicked out so that you could have it? You have like generations of family history. Um, and so there. I mean, there are definitely people who have hardened hearts who are like, this land belongs to the Jews and the Palestinians don't belong here. And then there are a lot of people who are like, what would you want me to do? Um, and and especially when there is threat from like Hamas that is going to like, you know, kill your children. Um, so it's a, it's a really fraught. And so when I say we have like enmeshed historic traumas, there's like... There is the historic trauma of the Jewish people, yes, from the Holocaust, but also long before the Holocaust of over and over again being like the minoritized population that is being kicked out or killed or hated on, et cetera, and now has this position of power where they own the state that they are fiercely defending. And you have this Palestinian people that were like living in this land and then were shoved out and like forcibly like gated off um, at, with like limited resources and limited opportunity and military oversight. And then you also have these like hard right settlers settler who are Jewish people who want to take over the land where the Palestinians are living by moving there and creating these settlements to like establish Jewish ownership in those places. And there's hostility between, and also if you're a Palestinian, the Jews that you are relating with are these like hard right settlers and like not the people living in like Tel Aviv who are incredibly sympathetic and like don't know what to do or do what they can to build bridges and to speak out and to vote, you know, in a way that um, that hopefully 
can change things. Um, you know, there was this like brief period where there was the hope of a two-state solution, and then um, the prime minister, or was it the president? The prime minister, I think, of Israel was assassinated, and like the possibility of that reconciliation and like healing um, fell apart. And if anything, it went like way further um, away from that. So it's like an intractable solution uh, situation. And you can see like there have been so many times that Americans have thought like, we're going to go in and we're going to bring together the Israeli leadership and the Palestinian leadership. And we're going to sit down at a table and we're going to shake hands and we're going to find a solution. And both people feel victimized and both people feel entitled and both people feel a sense of ownership of this place and not just like any like all right well let's slice and dice the land and you get this part and you get this part but jerusalem in particular is sacred to both people and um you can't you know like i i was thinking like well could we do it like germany and like just slice through the middle of berlin and let you know it's um it, both people believe that they deserve the entire thing, the whole pie. Thank you, Stephanie. I feel like I'm going to publish this and send this to everybody who ever has a question on anything, because that was a really nice, beautiful um, way to explain Carrie, a lot. I, I am sure that I got things wrong in that. I am not a, a historian of the Middle East. I am just like, a Jewish American person. And so I, uh, I welcome correction from anybody who has a more accurate understanding of this than I do. But this is like, this is how I have come to know it in the way that I've been able to, um, to like, I am both like, somewhat indoctrinated as a Jewish American, and also have like tried to really do the work myself to understand the complexity of this with a, a broader perspective. Um, but I, I'm sure that it falls short in some ways. So um, I've done my best to present it, but this is why it's so difficult to navigate why there isn't like when you say, what can we do? I mean, honestly, like if you believe in prayer in any form, um, I think that the prayer is to open hearts and open minds. Um, because, you know, what you're talking about with like how we prefer a simple narrative is why we end up with sides. And, um, and if we can see each other's humanity and hold each other in our hearts, like see see ourselves in each other's eyes, that we are one human family and that we are all grieving and we are all afraid and we are all hurt. And we have all done wrong. <laughs> We've all fallen short. We've all misunderstood and caused harms that we didn't know we were causing and we all have like you know agency that we haven't used um and so i i think that that there is a common prayer that we might be able to share and um and also being willing to have nuanced conversations like being willing to be in um, in dialogue with someone who has a different understanding than you do, and not with the intent to convince, but with the intent to understand, I think is something that we are sorely lacking as an American people um, about this issue, but about things that are happening in our own land too. So, you know, we can look at what's happening in the Middle East and say, like, they are all missing the bigger picture. And we here in the U.S. are all missing the bigger picture in our own circumstance as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Steph, for being here, uh, opening your heart and trying to help us understand the depth and complexity to this international crisis that's happening. I send love out from Kelly and I out to all the families who are suffering 
any families who um, have family members taken hostage or friends taken hostage thinking of you, I cannot even imagine. Anyone who's lost anybody, um, our heart goes out to you, our prayers go out to you. All right, guys, uh, thank you so much for being here. Please honor us with a five-star rating and a review. Please join the Greener Grass family. Opt into our email list. The All the info's in the show notes. All right, my friends. Um, have a wonderful week. Um, stay safe out there. All right, guys. Uh, over and out. This is Carrie. This is Greener Grass.